I think we have two people that are hospitalized at the moment, one of them at rehab, and uh, that would be Jean Snow. She's planning to go home today. And um, I saw her yesterday afternoon, and she's greatly encouraged and uh, has a long way to go. And the other is Tommy Alexander, one of our seniors, who has uh, pneumonia for the second time now in the last month. Tommy's um, been out at the Northside Hospital, and uh, he also fell against the door jam and got himself right, just right in the small of the back. So he is in a good bit of discomfort with coughing. The coughing makes the back sharply um, transmit pain, so I want to pray for both of them. Father, that you would be with these friends for Jean, that she would continue to recover, that she would gain physical strength and stamina, that you would keep her from any setbacks, and that you would allow her to benefit completely from this extensive back surgery. Bless her. And for Tommy Alexander, that the pneumonia that has reoccurred can be completely eradicated and that he can recover from uh, this fall that he experienced last weekend. Bless him. Keep him in your grace. Father, attached to many of us are people who are not well, people who have had surgeries or injuries. We pray for your healing. We pray for wisdom for people all around our world that are dealing with Ebola to know how to provide uh, treatment, and vaccines, and other medicines that would be effective in caring for these people. We pray for those people of West Africa. We pray your mercy upon them. We pray your healing upon them. And we pray that people will be valiant in going to their aid, and we pray that you would protect them as they give health care to these people. Now, for all of this, we give you thanks that we can lift up fellow brothers and sisters, even though they're not even close to us, but we can lift them up knowing that you hear and you answer our prayers for them. And so we pray for that mercy in Christ's name. Amen. In the 17th chapter of John, you have an extensive prayer of Jesus. And as we come down to verse 16 through verse 20 of this prayer, Jesus is praying and he says of the disciples, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, that last verse would directly apply to you and to me. And so Jesus is praying for these disciples, but he is ultimately praying for us. Now, there's basically four words here. And if you look at these four words and let them work their way in and out of your thinking, 
I think they will help you to understand this passage. It's the word sanctify. Then there's the word truth. There's the world, word world. And there's the word sent. These words are tied together here in telling Jesus telling us what he is doing for us and then, as it were, commissioning us to go and to serve into the world. It's a prayer that Jesus is making for each one of his disciples, but he's praying for them in the sense that they are going to be workers in his service. That's what this prayer is about. Now, as we look at the ideas, the principal ideas of these, these verses, this prayer, there's a great deal of parallel thought in the teaching of Paul and in the teaching of the book of the Hebrews. Now, you see here, the idea is sanctify them in the truth. Now, this idea of sanctifying has in John, and this is typical of many key words in John, has two kind of complementary meanings. And it typically means both of these things, more of one side of it at one point and more of the other side of the word in its understanding at a different point. But they, they are complementary, they're intentional, and they're made to reinforce each other. The first idea about this business of sanctifying is that we would be holy. That's the first thought. We need to be holy people if we're going to work in the service of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That holiness comes directly from him to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, the second idea is more of the idea that we find in the entirety of the scripture going all the way back to the very beginning. And the idea of to sanctify is to set apart. Now you think about ministers of the gospel. What makes a minister of the gospel different than somebody else in a different occupation? Well, God has set them apart. He's sanctified them. When we have the Lord's Supper, we take the elements. Now, the elements are the opposite of sanctified. The elements are ordinary. So you have ordinary juice in ordinary bread, and we pray not that anything would change with the ordinariness of this bread and juice, but no, we pray that this ordinary bread and juice would be set apart for a divine purpose, sanctified. There are buildings all around these buildings, but we say that that building right over there, which is our sanctuary, it's a building that is set apart. So the idea here is that these disciples are being made pure and they're being set apart. They're being set apart for God's service. So when you look at Paul, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. 
when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, he basically does two things. He makes us holy. And then he gives us each that believe a spiritual gift. Now, he may give some people more gifts, but each believer gets at least one gift. Now, why do we have that gift? Well, this gift is that we might be for the work of the service of the building up of the body of Christ. So we are made pure, and then we are given a set-apart duty in our life as Christians. Now, in the book of Hebrews, in the ninth chapter, uh, the author makes a great distinction in chapter 9, verses 14 and 15, between the Old Testament way of doing things and the new things that are the result of Jesus' high priestly ministry. Now, in this, the author says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works. You get the idea, made holy. Cleanses our conscience from dead works in order that we might serve the living God. So this whole business of being sanctified isn't so that we would just be, quote, holy people, we could look in the mirror and feel good about ourselves, but rather the idea that is complementary is that when Christ, through the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives, we are made pure, and then we are sent forth to serve in his name. So when he says here, sanctify them, in the truth, the idea that he has is make pure and then use them in this ministry. Now, the prayer that Jesus is making here is going to have an immediate future fulfillment for these disciples. But what was an immediate future fulfillment for them is for us a constant and present reality. So what Jesus is talking about here, he is yet to realize in his ministry. So when he says, sanctify them in truth, the idea here is that this business of truth is a very unique idea that is in this part of John's gospel. Now, when we think about sanctifying them in truth, the normal way that we might think about this is then give them the scriptures, because the scriptures are the, the truth, and the more you deal with the scriptures, the more the scriptures will come in and change your life because they're the truth, you'll be, as it were, more ready and more useful. Well, that's a wonderful idea, but that's not what is really being talked about here. The idea that is being talked about here is not as truth is something that is intellectually comprehended when you read the word. That's certainly a very real thing, but that's not the emphasis here. When he says sanctify them in truth here, He's saying, sanctify them in this great reality of my death and my resurrection. 
Now, what is the essence of the truth in our culture as opposed to the lie that is in our culture? In our culture today, you see every type of verbal gymnastics being used to make reality something that it isn't. So, now I want to speak about fundamentalistic Islamic terrorism. Isn't it interesting how this can't be called evil? <laughs> Isn't it fascinating that this idea cannot be labeled evil? Now, you and I live in a different world, the world of reality. And the world of reality is, is we see little children's bodies, they've been decapitated, and not just like with a swift sword, but with a slow-cutting knife. Well, that's what you saw with these other Daniel Pearl and all these people. I mean, they just didn't have a, a meat cleaver and go whack. They, now, you see this and you say, well, that's evil. Well, to us, we can pretty well see it. It's pretty clear. So you've got this whole world order over here who basically thinks that this world is all the world that there is. And basically, people are, well, they could be better. But they're not bad. They could just be better. But the, the idea of truth here is that you are going to be sanctified by the reality that Christ Jesus died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Then you're going to be sanctified by the reality that that was not the end all. That three days later, in reality... Time and space, Christ Jesus bodily was raised from the dead and received a glorified body, and that this Lord Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven from where he reigns. Now, this is the truth. You and I are sanctified and set apart in this truth. This is the truth that is going to make the difference in our lives. So when Jesus says, sanctify them by your word, Jesus is that word to the world that he has died and been risen from the dead and this is the truth that is to sanctify our lives. We look at all this other stuff that's going on around us, but when we look at it, we look at it through the lens of this reality that must constantly be before our minds. Well, Jesus can say in the eighth chapter of this, of this, letter, or this gospel, if we imbibe in Jesus' words... Then we are his disciples, and we shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. You see, if we abide in this truth, 
that Christ has died instead of you dying for your sin, that Christ was raised from the dead and now lives and reigns in highest heaven, and because he has attained in a human body to that place at God's right hand, the reality is you will be cleansed from your sin and you bodily will be raised from the dead and you will be in the presence of God. Now Chip doesn't seem to go through a year preaching here at, the, at First Presbyterian without speaking about Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the first human being to what? Now, how long after Roger Bannister did it, did somebody else do it? Hmm? It was within weeks. And within a couple weeks after that, a number of people have done it. Now you've got kids in high school that are doing it. Now you say, breaking the four-minute mile. Well, the idea is because Roger Bannister did it, everybody knew that it could be accomplished. Christ Jesus has been raised bodily from the dead. He is seated at God's right hand in a human body, and that is our surety that we will be raised from the dead, and we will stand in the presence of God. He has done it. He is the vanguard. He has led the way. And he is, this book of Ephesians saying, he is leading captive a host of captives. And we're going into that place. This has to be the overall comprehensive reality that we own as the truth. So the Holy Spirit leads us into this truth. The truth that if we abide in Jesus, and Jesus abides in us, we have been set free from sin and guilt and death to eternal life in a cleansed conscience and holiness. Now, the next thing we see are these two words, sent and into the world. Now, if you look at this, it's a, it, oftentimes you see things like this and you, you read over them. But if you kind of look at them in verse 16, you see world, world. Then you look at verse 18, and you see world, world. Obviously, there's something in the sense of the word world that is very important that we need to know about. So it says here that Jesus is not of this world. Now, we're aware of that. We know that In John's Gospel, it's constantly saying that he was sent from heaven into the world. He can say, I am not of this world. You are of this world, he can say to the Pharisees. But now what Jesus is saying is that those who are his disciples and followers, we are not of this world. Now, Paul can say this very thing. He says, you are in the world but you are not of the world. The idea is that we have had the ownership of God sealed upon us, and we belong to God even though we are in this world. Now, you can, again, ask yourself, what marks your life? 
if you want to say, well, my birth certificate marks my life. I mean, it says I was born. Some people thought I was hatched. That's a different issue. Now, it says I was born into the world. It marks my life. But there's another part of my life. And that life is that I have been born again. And that the Holy Spirit has come into me, taken me into Jesus' arms, and I belong to him. Now, where is he? He is at the right hand of God. I am united to him because he is united to me. He's united to my humanity and his humanity, and I am united to his humanity and divinity through the Holy Spirit coming into me. And as a result of that, I am not of this world in the way that other people are of this world. And so Jesus is saying that he is not of this world, and then he goes on to say they are not of this world. This is what he's talking about. Now, when we think about this, again, Paul is very helpful. He says in Colossians 1, or 3, verse 1, if you've been raised up with Christ Jesus, if you see yourself as a Christian, then you are to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not the things that are on earth. In other words, we have to live in this world, but more than that, we have to live in the reality of the truth that has sanctified us and set us free, that we are not of this world. Now, in, in that sense, the freedom that this gives us is the freedom over guilt. I failed somebody today, right off the bat, and I got a text. It's right here. It's not very nice. Thankfully, it's not from one of the members. But I failed this person. I sent a text. I said, walking, I messed up, please forgive me. Now, the text that's on this phone says, absolutely not. How do you think I, how do you think I did? Now, you and I get that every day, don't we? Now, I, I can tell you that this person has failed to show up on time every other time I think we've met. But that's not in their mind today. <laughs> What's in their mind is I did not show up at all. <laughs> now, I can live in the reality that I absolutely did not show up. How much use am I going to be to anybody thinking that way? No. I have to think that I belong to the Lord. I know I'm not perfect, but I know that he has called me. I know that he's using me, and I know that I'm not going to do it perfectly. But I know 
who I am in Christ Jesus. And that reality of the resurrection and the death of Christ means that my conscience is cleansed and I need to go on serving the living God. Paul said we have died to this world. Jesus, uh, at the end of this gospel, is going to say something to Peter, and he's going to say it about this world. So here is Jesus on the beach. Here is Peter on the beach. You remember what they just caught? Remember? Peter's a what? Fisherman? What have they just caught? How many? They just caught a bunch. So many that it says there were a hundred and something of them. It qualifies them as large fish. It goes on to say, even though that's true, the net didn't break. Sounds like a good day fishing. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these fish? you love me more than these fish? Do you love your life in Christ more than anything else in your life in this world? That's basically what Jesus is saying to Peter. Then he says the same thing again. He says, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. In other words, work in my business. That's the idea that we need to see here. That's what Jesus is talking about. We need to see ourselves like Peter was trying to, being shown to see himself. We need to see ourselves in the glory of the truth that sanctifies us that Christ has died and risen from the dead. He has given us gifts and he's put us to work, sanctified us, set us to work in this world for him, each and every one of us. Do we see this? Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit cleanses us and he gives us gift to serve him. Hebrews says Jesus' blood cleanses our conscience in order that we can serve the living God. What do we tell the little children? As soon as they're old enough to sing, they're in that little nursery, what's one of the songs that we teach them to sing? This little light of mine. What are we going to do with it? Let it shine. Now notice it didn't say this great big lighthouse beacon of mine. Now Billy Graham might have one, but God didn't give me one. It's still this little light. All right. Here's my wife. She's sitting at home. We're somewhere between really old technology of a landline and really modern technology of having an iPhone, so we still have flip phones. And she's walking around the house. She's doing this, she's doing that, she's doing something else, she's doing something else. And I mean, this something else stuff is going on for a long time. And you know what she's doing? She is listening, which she does very well, to some Christian woman who is going through something. And they know my wife, 
will listen to her. And my wife can be a person of very few words, and then she'll say, we need to pray about that. And then she'll come to me and say, thankfully, in very few words, (laughs) so-and-so called and wants you to pray for them. This little light of mine, it's not a big light, but it is in the reality of Christ's resurrection. It's in the reality of this is my Father's world. And how do I pray for this broken person in their problems? It's like that. Lady Dust died in our church named Joanne. Now, if Joanne brought anything to the equation, he, she brought joy. Wherever she went, she brought the joy of the Lord. And wherever she went, she would get people into the joy of the Lord, and she would point them to the Lord. This little light. I think of a guy who's a businessman in our community, not in this church. He's filled with wisdom. And people in the church are constantly calling him and telling him all about it. And Rob can take all the little pieces and pray with them as he's listening to them and put all the little pieces together and give direction. It's the gift of wisdom. It's a little light. He's letting it shine. Uh, just yesterday, someone was telling me about someone that does physical therapy. And they says he's so quiet. He's so tender. He's so compassionate. And I said, and he grew up in a church that I was a pastor in. And the idea is he has a little light. And he's using it. Walter and Lynn up at Lake Oconee were both divorced and, the, you know, it's, it's really something when a man sitting in front of his wife says, I should have never divorced my first wife. But it gets just about as bad when Lynn, in the presence of Walter, says, I was totally wrong to abandon my marriage. They know what they've done wrong. Christ has sanctified them. He set them apart. Now, how many people do you think up in Green and Putnam County and Morgan County are just like Walter and Lynn? How many do you think? A bunch. And so Walter and Lynn go, yep, we really messed up. Jesus really sanctified us. By the way, you need to put your faith in Jesus and why don't you come to church with us? Church isn't good for people who've been divorced. Like a, uh, we just told you about our divorce. Our church loves us. This little light. It's not really difficult. It's not a big light. It's not a lighthouse. It's your little light. Dan, Brundage, positiveness, goals, and inviting. He created ministry in a couple of different places in this church where no ministry existed prior to his energy being put to bear on it. And advances God's work through generosity and helps her pastor 
and all the people that are involved in his ministry. It's just a little light. It's all in relationship to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why do we do this? Well, just in closing, the verses saying at the end, I'm going to sanctify myself for them. What does that mean? You know, there's nobody else that can ever say in the world, this is the first and the last person that can ever say, I sanctify myself. Nobody else. Now, what does that mean? It means I have committed myself to do what the Father has sent me into the world to do. And so I am going to be in that garden, and I'm going to allow them to arrest me. I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to allow my disciples to abandon me because I've sanctified myself. I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be denied by Peter. I'm going to be put on trial falsely, and I'm going to endure it because I have sanctified myself to God's purpose. This is why he sent me into the world. I am going to be naked, I am going to be scourged, and I am going to be crucified, and I am going to die. And I have sanctified myself because this is why the Father sent me into the world. Nobody else, not you, not me, have been sanctified and set apart and sent into the world in any manner like that. But when we see Jesus on the cross and we see him dying and dead on that cross and we say, he did that for me, we take that in. We as Protestants are verbal and not visual. Catholics tend to be visual and not verbal. We need to bring them both together. We need to be able to see this as well as to comprehend this. But when we see and we comprehend, it, it is unbelievable. He died for me. But then, beyond all that, there is... Did you see that picture of that rocket blowing up? I think something like that was in my mind on Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Except in going into nothing, it's going into the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Something tremendously powerful. And then Jesus comes out of that tomb, and he is alive forevermore. But when you see he's alive forevermore, you know that you'll be alive forevermore. And when you know this, and you know you've been sanctified, you've been sent. Your little light has to shine. Your light shines, my light shines. I don't want to par borrow George George H. W. Bush. What did he call it? A thousand points of light. We're talking about a billion points of light. Nobody being a lighthouse, everybody being like a flashlight, and it makes a difference in the conversion of the world. Let's pray. Now, Father, that these things would be understood and appreciated and loved, that we've been sanctified, that there is a world that we have been sent into it, and we know the truth. And the truth has changed us, and the truth will change others. Help us to make this clear for Christ's sake. Amen.